Welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more messages and resources, please visit allpeoples.com or download our free All People's Church app. Like that beat. Okay, I'd love for you to join me this evening at our multi-church prayer rally. There's about 20 different churches that will be coming together tonight at Journey. Stephen will be one of the main worship leaders for it. This is an opportunity to unify with the body of Christ, just asking for God to move in our nation this week. So it's a great opportunity for us to show the support of the body of Christ as we walk in such great fellowship. God's doing a wonderful work of unity in our city, and that is something to be so thankful for living here in this time. And I thought I'd start with something funny in regards to what's going on this week. So here we go. Little boy wanted $100 badly and prayed for two weeks, but nothing happened. Some of us have probably been in that situation before, right? Then he decided to write a letter to the Lord requesting the money. When the postal authorities received the letter addressed to the Lord, they decided to send it to the President of the United States. The President was so impressed, touched, and amused that he instructed his secretary to send the little boy a $10 bill. The President thought this would appear to be a lot of money to the little boy. The little boy was delighted when he received the money and sat down to write a thank you note to the Lord which read, Dear Lord, thank you very much for sending me the money. However, I noticed that for some reason you had to send it through Washington. And as usual, they took 90% off the top. (laughs) Love, Tommy. (laughs) Uh, We're jumping into a new series this morning entitled Relational Reformation. And as many people have said, we believe that we need... uh, reformation or a reformation in our country. We believe that fundamentally the main issues that have gone awry, however, in our country have to do with a breakdown in relationships. Truly, the problems that we're facing in our nation are from a breakdown of fundamental relationships. And so we are going to embark on this journey studying the life of David. He was known as a man after God's own heart, a friend of God, who went from this ignoble place in society of a shepherd boy to actually the king of Israel who would lead that nation into its golden age. And what we'll see as we walk through his life that he had many different relationships that God speaks into and God reveals a prototype of how we are supposed to walk in the relationships that we find ourselves in as the people 
of God. And we're going to begin with the context in which David came onto the scene. We're going to look at the nation of Israel this morning. And we start, if you want to turn there with me, in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Now, let me just explain to you. Just as the last series, I didn't want to just preach the Word of God. We did a a series called Teach Us to Pray. The goal of the series wasn't just to share some good thoughts on prayer, but was for us to become, as a church family, a people of prayer. And I was deeply encouraged. I hope you were as well. As so many people entered into our corporate fast, as so many people came to our three-day season of, of prayer, and God started inspiring our hearts and igniting our hearts to become people of prayer. As we talk about relational reformation, I'm believing that God is going to make us a relational people. Do you know the people of God? We're never supposed to just have a relationship with the Lord that's disjointed from a relationship with his body. God wants to save us, not into only a a personal relationship with him, but he adopts us into a family. And our goal for you is to be a part, not just of a crowd, but to be a part of intentional, healthy family relationships in the church. In fact, let me give you a bold statement. My desire is at the end of this series that every person in this room would have two friends in this church. You might think, well, that's not much. Let me just tell you that there's a relational famine going on in our land. And many people don't feel like they have one authentic friendship. I believe that God wants to give friendships. He wants to restore healthy community to the body of Christ. But let me tell you, it's going to take something from you. I can't just pray and impart that into you. It's something that you're going to have to lay hold of and step forward. So I just want you to believe and be praying with me that God does something powerful in our church in this season. Can you pray with me, church? Okay, Father, we're asking, as we open your word, as we talk about relationships, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would be on us, the knowledge of God, and that you'd make us into a healthy, whole people as you intended. Let's jump in here in 1 Samuel chapter 8. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you're old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. Samuel was the prophet. Samuel had been the spiritual leader of the country. This displeased Samuel. The Lord told him, this is verse 7, listen to all the people are saying to you. It's not you they've rejected, but they have rejected me as their king as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So Samuel told them all the words of the Lord that told the people who were asking them for a king. He said, this is what a king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. And he goes on to name numerous different things that the king will claim as his rights. And we come now to the end of uh, verse 18, and now to verse 19, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them 
a king. Today's our first installment in this relational reformation series will be how should Christians relate to government? How should Christians relate to government? I believe this is a very timely word as we come to what many people are saying is the most important election of our lifetime. God's intent we see from Scripture was for him to lead and rule and reign his people. You saw what God said to Samuel. He said, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me as their king. Can I tell you that God has always wanted to have a close leadership relationship in the life of his people? And you see from Genesis 1 how God was going to do that. God makes man in his own image. He blesses him. And then he says, I give you everything and you are to rule and reign. Man was receiving from God in a place of trust. And then he was given delegated authority. That was God's intention. But I want you to make note of the second point we see from this is that man fell, and when man fell, he abdicated that responsibility, and he began to look for someone else to rule and reign and lead him. So this is man's intent. The people of Israel say, you know what, God, actually, we don't want you to lead us. We want some man to lead us so we can be like all the other nations and listen to the, to the three things they want. We want a king to lead us. That means we're going to defer our leadership to someone else says so he can go out before us what they're saying is we want someone else to provide for us and to do our work for us you know that God put man in the garden gave him the garden and said you're going to work it but the people wanted the king to go out and do their work and in fact it says this it says lastly that he would fight our our battles you know we always want someone else to fight our battles for us right so innate in in man when we're not walking in this trusting relationship where we believe that God's going to provide for us, where we believe that God's going to lead to us, where we believe that God's going to protect us, we always will defer our responsibility to someone else. And so that is the history of governments is people, even in democracies, will eventually give away their rights for someone else, someone bigger and stronger, in their opinion, to take care of them. Are you following me? So what I want to unpack today for you is a right biblical understanding of government because some of us just say, you know, government's so messed up, let's just do away with that. We shouldn't talk about that. Do you know that it's God that established government? And how we relate to government is very important because it affects all of us whether we want it to or not. So today we want to unpack from this scripture a biblical understanding of government. Look at what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 9. 1 Samuel chapter 9. So here's the important thing to understand. God will often give a nation over to leadership that the nation asks for, even if it's not the best. God often will give a leader that reflects the heart of a nation. Are you following me? Watch this. This is in verse 2. It says, Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. The message version says it 
this way, a most handsome young man. There was none finer. He literally stood a head and shoulders above the crowd. And so who becomes the king of Israel? It's Saul. Saul was the embodiment of man's strength. Are you following me? He was a head and shoulders taller. He was, he was a great-looking guy. He was an impressive specimen of a human being. And, and can, I just, can I just say that, that we can fall prey to this? Do you know that since 1900, that the United States has almost inevitably elected a tall person? Right? It, almost every single president has been above six foot since 1900. Since since television especially, th this is sad, we've almost always elected who the, the popular vote thought was the most handsome person. Isn't that interesting? Can I just say, as the people of God, we cannot be shallow like that? Like, there's nothing wrong with being tall, I hope, right? But, but we cannot look by the outer appearance. The, the Bible says the man looks at the outer appearance, God looks at the heart. I just heard that in this last election, many people surveyed, said they picked the candidate that they thought had the nicest hair. It's one of the main reasons I'm not in politics. Uh, that is not the calling on the people of God. We are supposed to move forth with godly wisdom. We're supposed to, as God does, look into the heart. Here's the problem. When we put our confidence in man's strength, when man's strength runs out, we'll always be left in a hopeless place. Saul, a few chapters later, we see him hiding behind the baggage. Uh, and then a few chapters after that, we see actually that Saul's reign ends in ruin because he wouldn't wait on or trust in the Lord. Let's look at 1 Samuel now into, into verse 25. Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their homes. Now, where do rights of, of governments, of kings, of authorities come from? And where do our rights come from? They, they come from Scripture. Once again, I, I want to encourage you, it's the Lord that set up government. It's the Lord who gives rights. We have rights because the Lord has endowed them. Even in our nation, I want you to listen to what the Declaration of Independence says. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, it's, it's the Lord that actually gives rights. According to Scripture, the Lord gives rights. And then, I, I, it's amazing to me in our country that when a politician is sworn in to an office, what do they do? They lay their hands on the Bible and they swear to uphold the laws and the rights for the people. Now, here is the problem. With one hand, we lay our hands on the Bible and swear by it. On the other hand, we do things that are against the very teachings of the Bible. Do you understand that the reason humans have rights is because the Lord gave them to people? And so we cannot go against what Scripture teaches in giving rights because the Bible is the very foundation for humans having rights. 
So that's what we're jumping into today. I want to talk about the role of government, and I want to talk about the biblical role of government. And, And here's what I know. What I know is that we come from so many different backgrounds in this church. 20% of this church was born in a different country. We come from all different kinds of economic uh, groupings. We come from different types of schooling, different types of jobs. Our goal today is to understand that we're a very diverse people with very uh, diverse thoughts in this room. But when we come into this house, we are all one family. Why? Because we're adopted into the family of God. We're bought with the blood of Jesus. So you are my brother and my sister, and we are unified under the name of Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lords of lords. That's what unifies us. And then our goal as people is to be conformed into the image of Christ, building our life upon the word. So I want to unpack what the Bible says about government today. Romans 13, 1 through 4. Romans 13, 1 through 4, says this, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Can I just tell you that this wasn't written in the time of David, where David was king and ruling and reigning constantly spouting out these beautiful psalms. This was during the Roman Empire, a dark time, where Paul is telling us about authorities established by God. Verse 3, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of one in authority? Then do what's right, and you will, uh, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. I want to make several points, three points in fact, on the role of government according to Scripture. Number one, authorities exist and are established by God. I encourage you to take notes because this is a biblical foundation. Authorities exist and are established by God. We see this all over Scripture. But specifically, there's no authority except that which God has established. What that means is, whoever rebels against that authority is rebelling against the authority God has instituted. Now, I'll give a side caveat on that momentarily. Number two, authorities are different than individual people. Government and authorities is different than individual people. Here is what I mean. I will hear people say this, well, I do not want to judge. Like, well, we shouldn't judge or we shouldn't do that. Do you know that government is actually called to judge? There's this group of people called judges. And you know what their job is? Judging. Like you could say, you're so judgmental. They'd say, yeah, that's right, I'm a judge, right? Do you know that that government is different than individual people? I, as a believer, am called to turn the other cheek. But when, when someone's invading your house, you don't want the police to show up and turn the other cheek. You hope that they come and, and that they're bearing arms to protect you. 
The government is different than individuals. And that's something that's very important to understand. We put on one hat, and that's me as an individual believer. I put on another hat if I am stepping into the role as government and I have a very different calling. Where we are called to lay down our swords, the Bible actually says that they are called to pick up that sword. Listen to that. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servant, agents of wrath, to punish the wrongdoer. And that's the third point. Government is to protect people from those who do evil. Are you following me? We're just going through the Bible here, helping you understand there's a difference between the role of government and how we are to act as individual believers. And we build that on the foundation of Scripture. So here's our calling then as Christians, as believers, on how to relate to government. That's what's so important because we get so confused. So how do we relate to government? Number one, we respect and honor government leaders. As believers, we should be respectful. We should be honoring. We shouldn't be cursing government leaders. We shouldn't be defaming them, saying off-colored jokes. We need to be honoring to people. I, I teach my children to be honoring to their teachers, to their coaches. Even when they say things that they disagree with, we still, out of a heart of love, we honor them. H how do we honor and respect our leaders? Uh, here's a great one. The scripture says that we should pay taxes. You know that Jesus, they came to Jesus and said, hey, you owe this tax. He said, go fishing. You'll pull out a drachma out of a fish. I wish I could pay my taxes that way. Not to that point yet, but Jesus paid taxes. We should pay taxes. We should obey the laws of the land, right? The, the traffic laws, the, the different, we shouldn't be stealing from people, right? We honor and obey the laws of the land. However, let me just say there is an exception. There are the exceptions, exceptional times when the laws of the land are against the teachings of Scripture. And then we have the role model from Scripture of people who obeyed God instead of the laws of the land. For example, Daniel. They came and told Daniel, you cannot pray anymore except to the king. What did Daniel do? He actually went, got on his knees in front of an open window for people to see, got him thrown into the lion's den. Then God defended him, the king's eyes were opened, and the king changed, right? You see, that, you see this with Peter, Peter and John, they get thrown into prison. They say, you're not supposed to teach this, this is against the law to preach the gospel. What did they say? I love, I love what he says, he says, judge for yourself, should I obey God or man? He says, I'm going to obey God, and he preaches the gospel and starts a revival, Right at different times, people say, well, why would you send missionaries into that country to preach the gospel? It's illegal in Saudi Arabia, or it's illegal in Iran. The reason we do that is because God's law is higher than man's law. And God tells us, go into all nations and preach the gospel. So there is that exception. Now, number two, what else should we do? So we should respect and obey our authorities. Number two, we should pray for our leaders. We should pray for government leaders. First Timothy 2, 1 says this, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. 
we as the body of Christ are called to pray for government leaders. And if you keep following the story of Saul, this self-made man who put his confidence in his flesh, there is an interesting time that happens when the Spirit of God comes on him. 1 Samuel chapter 10, 9, it says, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. When he and his servants arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, which is Saul, and he joined in their prophesying. Can I just tell you that God can change a leader's heart? That the Holy Spirit can come and change a person in a moment. So let me just tell you this. On Tuesday, someone will be voted into president. And I can guarantee you there will be a part of this room who will be frustrated. Let me tell you, as the people of God, our role is to immediately begin praying for that leader. Whether it was the one you wanted or not, our role does not change. We are called to pray for our leader. We spend a lot more time accusing, defaming, denouncing leaders than praying for them because we don't believe that God can actually change someone's heart. But scripture is full of God changing hearts. You look at Nebuchadnezzar, one of the hardest prideful, evil man, and God changed his heart in an instant. Right? You look at the king when Esther goes to him and God changes his heart and he uplifts the people of God instead of destroying them, which was the plan. God turns the heart of the king of Nineveh when Jonah actually goes and preaches to him. God can change the heart of leaders. No matter how wicked they are, it's our role as the people of God to pray for them. Let us pray, church, for leaders. Number three, we take a stand for righteousness as the people of God. We take a stand for righteousness. 1 Timothy 3.15 says that the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. What happens when you pull out a pillar? The whole roof starts falling down. It starts caving in. We cannot let the church be pulled out. We need to speak the truth in love. Well, the church shouldn't get involved in politics or in government. Really? Well, look at John the Baptist. What does John do? John calls out Herod in his unrighteous, adulterous relationship with a woman. He starts calling that out. Now, it gets him his head cut off, but he was speaking the truth and love. Just be ready, right? Be ready to meet the consequences for what you're doing. So you say, well, that's John the Baptist. He was a little fiery-eyed. He wore camel skin. That's kind of not, not normal. Maybe it was just him. How about Jesus? What does Jesus say to Herod? He goes, you tell that fox. Like, Jesus rebukes the king, Right? Uh, there's a time when the religious leaders need to speak out the truth in love. We take a stand for righteousness. So oftentimes we cower back and say, well, that's not our realm. That's not our place to speak into. Can I just tell you that when the Christians didn't speak into Nazi Germany, it allowed for the decimation of the Jewish people, and it eventually allowed to the decimation of Christians. Fortunately, men like Dietrich Bonhoeffer stood up and began speaking against it. Now, it would cost him 
his life. But we need the people of God to speak strongly the truth in love when a nation begins to go against the commands of the Lord. This is our, our calling. So um, here, here's where we go today. The, uh, it, it's not just time for us to, to, to speak out. I, I really believe it's time to send anointed people from the church into every sector of society. And, and there, there's starting to be this realization in the church that you can be a missionary to the business world. I was just at an event where some of our young people, they went through our training school, they got this vision to create a clothing line, and I've watched them in a righteous way start impacting the fashion industry. We have some great people in the fashion industry that are missionaries to that sector of society. I love this reformation we're seeing in the spheres of society, but the next one that we need to lay hold of is the sphere of government. So I am believing, and I want to just tell you, we're behind you. If you feel your call into, into government, we're behind you. We say yes and amen, and take the righteous love and, and the decrees of God into that sphere because it affects all of us. Are you with me, church? We're going to have leaders. We're all going to be affected by government. Why not have godly, selfless, servant-hearted, righteous people leading our nation? So let's start believing for that. Now, I, I, I need to spend the last moments of this uh, message addressing some of the issues that are at hand in this election. And here's what I know. I know I'm going to step on some toes. Uh, here's why I need to do this. I do it from the perspective of a spiritual father. Right? A father is willing to speak his convictions whether he thinks it's going to be hard or easy on a family. He does it out of love. And so can I just tell you this? If I say something that offends you today, can I tell you that although I might offend you, I love you? I heard no amen. <laughs> um, different people at different times can say this. Well, when you said that, uh, I didn't feel loved. Can I tell you that we can disagree and still love? Like, I, I, I correct my children. It doesn't mean that I hate them. It actually means that I really care about them, so I'm willing to speak the truth and my convictions to them. Uh, let me just say this. Some of you were here last week. My father was sitting on the front row. I have an incredible dad. I have an incredible relationship with him. Can I just tell you that we don't see eye to eye on everything, but that we still love each other and that we walk in unity? Why? Because we are of the same family. He is my dad. I am his son. And that family relationship supersedes our views on different things. So I need to speak out because my calling is to say we need to raise up a people who are living their lives conformed in the image of Christ built on scripture. But can I tell you, even if at the end of the day you feel like, hey, I'm offended by Robert, I just want you to know I love you. And way more importantly, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. So let's unpack some of these issues that I believe are biblical issues and look at the truth of the word of God on them very quickly. Issue number one that is in the center of politics, abortion. Abortion. 
Now, people say, hey, don't talk about politics. Let me just tell you that this isn't just politics. This is a moral issue. It's been around a lot longer than we've had the United States or we've had political parties. From the most ancient readings, uh, the uh, different literature in Greece, different literature in Rome, people were aborting unborn children. Can I just tell you that that breaks the heart of God? Psalm 139, 13 says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God was forming and bringing life before you ever came out of the womb. He has a wonderful plan for every single human being. He loves us. Let me just give you some references. I don't have time to read them all. Exodus 21, 22 through 23, 2 Kings 8, 12, Amos 1, 13, they all condemn the harming of unborn children. Now let me just tell you this. If you've had an abortion, there is grace for you. There is love for you. Numerous people in this fellowship have had abortions and you are loved and you are forgiven and you are not condemned. We need, however, to teach the truth in love, that this breaks the heart of God. It ends life that God wants on this earth. It's made in his image, and we need to protect our most defenseless society members. So my encouragement to you is find out what candidates, and and when I'm talking about candidates today, I'm not just talking about presidential candidates today. I'm talking about the whole downline of the ballot. What do people believe about life? Genesis 1, God brought forth life, made it in his own image. What do you believe about life? The scripture actually says, I've set before you life and death, choose life. What does each candidate, each party believe about life and use your rights as an American citizen. Paul used his rights as a Roman citizen to appeal to Caesar. We believe that we can use our rights as citizens to actually impact how our nation is run. So use them to put people in line that will most align to the values of Scripture. Number two, religious freedom. Religious freedom. Can I tell you, I think that's the most important one for us as believers. Because everything flows down from it. Psalm 33, uh, 33, 12 says this. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Here's what we know. If people in our nation honor God, God will bless our nation. Do you believe that the reason America is so blessed is because of the godliness in the people who have sought him and prayed? That's what I believe. Do I believe we're a perfect nation? By no means. But I believe that God has blessed our nation for numerous reasons. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Do you know that there are people who would like to take religious freedom and specifically the ability for Christians to exercise their worship and to live out their faith, they would like to take that away. Do you understand that? Do not be deceived that thinking everyone just wants us to be free. That is not true. And what I'd encourage you to, in the back, on the way out, we have party, a party platform comparison. I'm not endorsing a specific candidate today, I'm not endorsing a particular party, but I want you to be informed. I want to ask you, have you actually read the party platforms? Or you just listen to sound bites off 
that, you know, incredibly accurate instrument called Facebook. <laughs> Get on the party platforms. See which party is endorsing a biblical worldview. And use your vote in order to enable a group that will most allow us as a nation to practice religious freedom. So grab these on the back table on the way out. These aren't slanted. They just take out quotes on different issues like education, sex education, social experiments in military, transgender bathrooms, terrorism, sanctity of human life. Take those, and I encourage you to do your due, due diligence. Excuse me. Uh, thirdly, what's important for the people of God? Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found, so the Lord caused the man to fall into deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed it up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, now this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman, for she was taken out of a man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Marriage is a very important foundation of the society and a very important issue at this time. Do you know it's God who thought of marriage? It's God who created marriage. Now, hear me again. We, as the believers, are called to love every person. And can I just tell you, in this room, are numerous people that have those feelings of homosexuality. There's numerous people that come in this church. And if you are gay or you're a lesbian or you're transgender today, you're loved here. You're cared for here. And we apologize for the way you felt attacked. That's not right. We build our lives on the foundation of Scripture. According to Scripture, marriage is a man and a woman. We're all in process of becoming more and more conformed to the image of Christ. It is not up to how I feel. The Bible says I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. But Jesus Christ lives within me, so it actually doesn't matter how I feel about something. It matters about Jesus living in me, and then what does Jesus say? So we need to have tremendous compassion and meet people. Meet you where you're at. Meet your family member where they're at. Love them. But when it comes to laying the foundations of rights in our country, of laws in our country, they must be built upon the foundation of the Word of God or they're built on nothing, and they'll always be shifting with the winds of societal change. Do you understand, when we put people into place, that they actually have the power to make laws that impact all our lives? Do you understand, in this election, that people will put judges in place that will define different moral issues? Now, here's the, here's the challenge on this election. Let me just be very candid, very frank for a moment. We have, at the top, at the presidential race, we have two very imperfect candidates. Can I get an amen? amen. That's the strongest amen I got all day. <laughs> uh, we have two people who have done immoral things. We know that uh, for a fact. 
So what do you do with that? What, what do you do with that? It's, it puts us in a very complicated, challenging place as the body of Christ. So here's what you have to do. You have to look at what is the agenda, what is the platform that will be put in place, who are the people that will be put in place, and who will most put people that are in line with a Judeo-Christian ethic in order to let the church thrive. Because let me just tell you something. No nation lasts forever. The church of Jesus will. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He reigns over a never-ending, enduring kingdom. And if we align ourselves with him, we'll be blessed. If we go against him, we will not be. Ultimately, our hope is in him. He is our King of kings. But in the meantime, while we live on this earth, we have to say what is going to best appropriate the blessing of God on us as a people and on us as a nation. And let's move in that direction. We're not voting on, on putting Jesus in office today. Right? Unfortunately, there was a time where people were trying to do that and then they killed him. What, what we're asking for is we, we want what is going to honor God. Let me talk about two more issues. Because you might be thinking, well, you know, you're just bringing up these issues. Let me talk about two more issues that are incredibly important to the heart of God according to Scripture. Treatment of the poor. Treatment of the poor. Listen to what Scripture says. Jeremiah 22, 16. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? We care deeply about the plight of of the poor. That's why we meet in an inner city middle school where almost 100% of the children live below the poverty line. That's why we work among the poor of the nations. This is our heart. This is our desire. And so we need to hold to an account those who lead our government and say, how will what you decide affect the poor? We need to look at that, and we need to analyze that. Not just what's giving lip service, but what it actually affects the poor and brings justice and righteousness to them. Here's, here's another one. Immigration. Uh, 20% of this church was born outside of the United States. This is a very important issue to us. Uh, there's been a lot of, of rhetoric and talk uh, about Mexico. Do you know we have a church in Mexico on the border? all people's Tijuana. We love dearly our Mexican brothers and sisters. We must look at these issues and, and have a very thorough study of what is going on in our nation and saying what will bring both compassion, generosity. You know, anyone who has a harsh heart against immigrants, I just want to say, look at yourself. You're probably a, an immigrant just three or four generations here in America. I know I am. What is God's heart? This is what God's heart says in Leviticus 19. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself as you were aliens in Egypt. What's generous, fair, and a wise approach to immigration? We must speak out on this. We must believe in this. And we must ask the Lord for wisdom and then use our votes and use our voice in accordance with this. And can I, can, can I just say, when I say use your voice, I'm not talking about just bash people on Facebook. I've never heard anybody being changed through someone's post on Facebook. 
When I'm saying use your voice, I'm saying in actual, loving, face-to-face communication with people. Remember that old style of communication? It's called talking face-to-face. Um, how much time do I have? How much? In conclusion... Uh, What happens if we have a government that opposes Christians? Can I just say once again that we belong to an enduring kingdom? We know at the end of the book that our Lord and Savior wins, and thus we win. He is the King of kings. You can give him a hand. You can clap. He is the Lord of lords. He will bring justice to the poor. He will end violence. He will wipe away every tear. He will eradicate disease. He will change. This kingdom will become the kingdom of our God and of his Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And that's not just a Christmas song. Can I just tell you that there is always hope? We will stand with him. So what are the two things that we can do as believers? What are the two things that we can do that no one else can do? Here's two things that you can do that no one else can do. Number one, you can intercede for a move of God. The lost and broken world can't do that. But you have access to the throne of grace, beloved. This is what 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. It's not saying if everyone will. It's saying if my people will. They'll humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. What we need more than anything is a move of God. More than any political candidate being placed in, we need God to move. And we alone can pray for that move of God. Secondly, what can you do that no one else can do? The Bible says this in Isaiah 60, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord shines upon you. It's time for Christians to stop just acting bitter and frustrated and scared and accusatory, but to arise and shine with the glory of God. And this is what Scripture says When that happens, listen to this. It says, see, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the precipices. Oh, over the peoples. This got a little more sophisticated. Over the peoples. You know, we say, it's getting so dark. Well, this is what was happening in Isaiah 60. He says, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. And watch this. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of of your dawn. Do you understand, beloved, that in the end it's not about the natural processes, that we, no matter what happens, no matter how dark it comes, we can stand up tall and let the glory of God be on us and the nations will be drawn and we will influence the kings of society. Give the Lord a hand for that great word. There is always hope. 
Because the King of kings and the Lord of lords is sitting on a throne. He's reigning supreme. And there is always hope because he longs to pour out his spirit on you, the body of Christ, for you to shine with his glory and people will be drawn to our light. Let's stand up. I want to finish this time by just praying and asking God to move in our land. I'm going to pray out. I just want you to agree with me. Will you just raise your hands to the Lord? In case you, you might think, well, that's just kind of a modern, contemporary form of worship. No, this is biblical worship. It says, lift holy hands unto the Lord. And so we lift our hands and just pray with me. Father, we are believing for the light of the glory of God to come upon the people of God once again. Lord, we repent on behalf of our nation's sins. Lord, of our idols, of money, of sex, of power and fame. We humble ourselves and say we're sorry for where we bought into that as Christians. And Lord, we want to be broken and contrite. We want to say we need you, Lord, more than we need finances. We need you, Lord, more than we need things to go in a way that makes us comfortable. We need the move of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we're asking that you'd move in our country, you'd convict people of evil, Lord. You'd convict us of sin. And God, that you would bring another great awakening in our nation. And we ask, wake up the church, Lord. Wake up the church. Wake us up to be the people that you call us to be. Restore power to the church. Restore love to the church. Restore grace to the church. Restore compassion to the church that we would be a people like Jesus. And Lord, we pray today for our nation, for the United States of America. This is where you have us all living today. And we say, oh Lord, have mercy on our land. Let us align our land in accordance with your word and your heart. And we believe as we do that, that you will rain down your blessings upon us. Let's just sing one last song to the Lord, lifting up his name as we finish our day.